Hello, everyone. Today I'm here with Tina Marie J, who used to belong to a Bible based cult and now has a YouTube channel where she talks about her experience. And she also is a life coach for people who used to be cult members and gives them advice about how to deal with their experience. They're very good videos, and I'm happy to talk with her today. Thank you for being on, Tina. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so uh, let's go right to the beginning.、Um, were, were you brought up religious in any way? Yeah, so the way I was raised was in a Christian household. My father was a pastor, and my parents both had me go to Sunday school, and I went to church every single week. I didn't skip a week. I had Bibles, I had children books. So, Religion was really all I really ever knew. Like, I didn't know anything outside of Jesus Christ and God and Christianity. So, I was pretty much raised in religion. How often did you have to go to church? Well, I only went once a week. So, I went every Sunday.、Um, I don't, I don't want to say that my upbringing was extremely strict, but. It was very Bible based. So I didn't learn about other religions or, or think outside of the box of religion. Everything was just about God and living for God and, and doing things according to how a Christian is supposed to do things. It's, you, you're either doing things right or you're doing things wrong. And that's pretty much how I grew up. But at that time, you wouldn't say that the community was cult like? No, absolutely not. It wasn't. It, I didn't experience any cult at that time. And also, everything that I experienced when I was a child, when it comes to religion, to me, it was normal because I was pretty much born into it. Were there negative things about religion that you experienced during that time? Well, as, as a kid, not necessarily, but I think I can pretty much say my negative experiences started when I was a teenager.、Um, I, when I was a teenager, I went through some things and I started to do what a lot of religious people call turning your back on God. And I went through my regular teenage mood swings and all of that stuff. And then my mom has suggested that I start going to church again, that they were having like this teen night. I remember it was every Thursday at 6 30. And that was when I started to realize that. I wasn't, I didn't really like religion too much. I was just like, you know what, I'm not really feeling this because it was, it seemed strict. Like, I wasn't allowed to talk to the boys. I wasn't allowed to hang out with them. I got scolded several times just for saying hi to newcomers. And that was when I really was able to start to think for myself and to think maybe religion is not for me. What do you mean that you weren't like they that they were angry that you would say hi to newcomers? Why, why would that bother yeah. them? Yeah, I well, the church that I grew up in, um, I, I grew up in, in one church, so it was before I joined the cult. And this church had a had I don't really understand why they did it this way, but they had this thing where basically they would separate the boys and the girls, so. The boys had to sit on the right side and the girls had to sit on the left. And we could talk, but it had to be in groups. We weren't allowed to exchange numbers and hang out, not even as a group. I suggested we all go out ice skating sometime. We were like 15, 16, 17 years old at the time. And I was told we're not supposed to. Only the girls can hang out with the girls and the boys can hang out with the boys because they felt that it would take away our attention from God. And because we were at the age where, you know, you want to start dating, you find attraction, you're interested. And so I was told not to talk to the boys at all. What denomination is this? Well, growing up, it was a supposedly non denominational. Mm hmm. But、um, it's hard for me to really believe that there's a non denominational church. As I always call it, it's non denominational, but it's very judgmental. So <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> that was what、point. I was in. Yeah. 
So, so where would you start the story as far as the the next church you're in, the cult? All right. So basically, um, I took a very long hiatus from religion and from <clears throat> attending church. When I was a teenager, when I was around 16 years old, 9-11 happened. And my mom, she worked in the second tower. And I almost lost her. I felt like I couldn't believe how close I came to losing my mom. And I started to really question God and question, like, why would you even allow this to happen? Why would you allow so many people to die? And that was where my depression, my anxiety began. And then my father got sick with cancer and he passed away two years later. And when he passed away, I completely said goodbye to God. I just I believed in a God, but I didn't believe that God was as great as what Christianity would make it seem, because I felt like, why would God allow things to continue to happen? So I took a long break from Christianity and I started doing my own thing. I didn't want to follow the Bible. I didn't believe in sex before marriage. I just felt like it was nothing but rules. So I ended up having my first child, which was at 20 years old. And then three years later, I had the second one. It was with the same person who's now my husband. But when I had my second child, I realized I was in so much depression and I got invited to a church, which is the cult that I ended up going to. And I started to think, well, maybe I need God in my life. Like I've had several years away from God. Maybe I need to go back and maybe I'm doing it to myself. Because even though I wasn't going to church and I wasn't reading the Bible, I still, in the back of my mind, had that voice telling me, you have to go back, you have to go back, because it was all I knew. And that was when I was first invited to the cult that I had begun. And when I first went, I was just like, this place is really weird. I I just had every bad feeling Every, in every bone in my body telling me not to go. But um, I ended up going anyway, and then that's when my whole journey of trying to reconcile with God and Christianity began. And this church is the ICLC? Yeah, so it's the ICLC. It stands for the International Church of Christ. And it's based everywhere, not just in the United States, but it's based outside of the United States. And it's actually, if you were to look online, back in, I think, I think it was like the late 80s, early 90s, they were trying to do an investigation because a lot of people were saying it was a cult. And there were a lot of people who had even committed suicide over it due to fear because they placed a lot of fear on the members of going to hell. And I didn't know this when I first joined. I heard someone mention it, but I was told not to look into it because it would be the devil trying to sway me away from God. So I never actually looked into the information when I joined. Mm, I see. So how did you uh, first get involved and how did they uh, like approach you and start getting pulled in and all that? Well, after I got married to my husband that I had my children with. We got married and we were already actually trying to attend another church, but it was more out of the comfort of just going. And we got invited to the ICOC by a friend of mine and she was just like, oh, it's a great church, you really gotta go. So we ended up hooking up with a brother from the church. And this is what they call each other, brothers and sisters in Christ or whatever. So we ended up connecting with this brother in the church who spoke to my husband. I said, I'm not going to this church. I don't want to go. You can go. So he went one Sunday and the brother started speaking to him about studying the Bible. So my husband comes home and tells me, I'm going to start doing these Bible studies. I want you to come next Sunday because a lot of the members want to meet you and they want to talk to you. And I was just like, I don't see why I have to do Bible studies. I already know everything. I know the basics. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, all of that stuff. Okay, I know. So I end up I ended up going anyway, just so that he can leave me alone about it. So I go to the Sunday service. I meet this brother that was 
speaking to my husband who ends up taking him under his wing. And this guy, when I tell you that it felt like someone was trying to sell me a car, this guy was really trying to sell me. Like he, he was not wasting any time. He instantly just went straight into when are we studying the Bible? When are we going to help get you on the track towards getting to heaven? And right there in my mind, I thought this place is like a cult. But at the time, I didn't take myself seriously because I always thought of a cult as, you know, someone wearing like bonnets and dresses and and drinking Kool-Aid and all of that. And it was nothing like that. It's like from the outside, you don't know that the ICOC is a cult until you're actually in it and you become brainwashed and you see what really goes on on the inside. That's when you finally realize this place is a cult. So when you got that feeling that it feels like a cult, but it, but then at the same time you thought, well, it's not really like a cult because maybe they're just deeper religious. Is that the kind of how you reasoned? Yeah. Well, you know, I thought, I thought they were just being nice because what they did is this thing called love bombing. Everyone comes and bombards you and, and just, Hey, how are you doing? Welcome, welcome, hugging you and kissing you. And I just thought maybe they're just super overly nice. I don't mind hugging. I don't mind greeting, but it was like, it was on a whole nother level. Like these people just completely just enter your entire space and are instantly pulling out their calendar to see when their next available day is to get together. This is what they like to call get together. And um, this is what they did with me. When can we get together? When can we get together and talk about the Bible and hang out and get to know each other? Nothing felt genuine or organic. But I felt since my husband liked it, and I knew it would make him happy, because at the time I was always aiming to please I thought, well, let me just try and get on his level, because at this point, he already had started going a couple of Sundays without me, and I could see him changing his whole entire, uh, I don't want to say his personality, but his demeanor was changing, and I thought it was for the good. I felt like, well, maybe it's a positive thing, so maybe it's a good place, and so that's how I, I gave in. And I got in with some women, some sisters in the church. I decided, fine, I'll study the Bible. And then that's when I started. I see. I like the term love bombing there because I've, I've experienced that. Um, I was never religious myself and I never belonged to a church. But I encountered a lot of those people, sometimes my age, sometimes older, where they're overtly nice in a sometimes almost creepy way. And mm -hmm. I, in one of your videos, you talk about how a lot of these invitations are about come to our church and we have, you know, like buffets or food for you and things like that. So, yeah, food and coffee. Yeah, especially as a poor student as I was. Um, but yeah, the, the the kindness they show is so over the top. It, it's not really genuine. And it's it always comes with the stipulation of coming to my church and kind of selling you something. Uh, right. along those those lines so it, it's not it, it never felt to me like really they wanted to actually get to know me like th their intention was to bring me into their fold right that's that's a part of their tactic i always tell people on my channel it's a tactic i mean people don't like to hear it because they they see religion and christianity and the bible and automatically to them it has to relate to something positive but in this case as hard as it may be for a lot of people to take in it's not that positive because it does come with with a price and you don't realize until after you leave you're like wait a minute i thought that you know these people loved me i thought these people actually wanted to know me but then you realize all of those studies, all of those events that I went to and the meetings that I joined, it was all just a tactic to conform, to get me to conform. Yeah. So I never really went past that first like selling period, right? Where they mm -hmm. you just go to their church for a day and eat some of their food. What happens after that? Like well, what what how did they start to really bring you into the group? in a in this way that you get closed off from the rest of the world because i in your videos you talk a lot about that how you're brought in and with all this you know love bombing and such kindness but then it's also you get closed into the circle 
Well, for me, right, I forgot to mention that right before I had agreed to starting my studies, the man who was studying with my husband, my husband actually got baptized before me. He did his studies within like a week and a half and got baptized. And he didn't grow up religious. He's complete opposite when it comes to religion. Um, so this man, I, I started to realize my husband was always out. He was always going out with the other guys from church and he was just always hanging out. And I felt alone. I was home with the kids all the time. So I gave the brother a call and I said, listen, I feel like I'm happy that my husband has made friends with everyone, but I I feel like I, I don't have him anymore. Like I lost my friend and his response to me was, well, you have to get on his level. He is now a disciple of Christ. He's now a baby Christian. And I need him to be around other Christians. And you're not a Christian. You're not you're not a Christian. You're not a disciple. And if you want your husband around and you want your marriage to work out, you're going to have to get on his level and you're going to have to start doing studies. And that actually pushed me to start because it felt like it was a matter of whether my relationship was going to survive and my family was going to stay intact or completely fail all because I won't start studies. So uh, that was actually how I first started studies. And then when I started studying, they, they don't in the ICOC, you're not considered a Christian if you were not baptized, especially if you were not baptized in their church, you're not considered a Christian. You're not considered a disciple of Christ. Not until you get baptized, you do about eight to 10 studies, I I remember being, and you get baptized. After you get baptized, that's when you're a part of the new VIP, the very special, important people, a part of God's kingdom, which I talk about in my new ebook, which I will be bringing out soon. And that is when you start to conform because during the studies, they have to break you down. They have to break down your identity and break you down completely as a person in order to say, okay, you're ready. You're prepared to get baptized. Now you're new. And now they start calling you sister or brother and, oh, you're a part of our family now. We love you. We love you. We'll babysit for you. Let's go hang out. Let's go on double dates. That's when you start to feel like you're a part of a group. But when you're doing studies, you're not allowed to. Well, you can go on their events, but you're not allowed to serve. You can't serve. You can't help in the ministry. You can't help and be a part of anyone else's studies. You can't do any of those things until you actually get baptized. And this is how they bring you in. And when you when you were talking about there about how they break you down, and break down your individuality. How how does that work? What, what kind of things would they do specifically? Well, the Bible studies are directed for that. So um, I did this one video where I spoke I spoke about the sin and repentance study because that study affects people the most, and that's the one I remember the most clearly. In that study, that's one of the last studies that you have to do before you can get baptized. And what they do is first, they make sure to tell you in every study from the very beginning, the first study, you're not a Christian. You are not a Christian. You've sinned and you are far from God because of your sin. God has not forgiven you. All of those times you've prayed, all of those times that you've asked God for forgiveness, he has not forgiven you because you have not been baptized fully in water. And right there, I started to break down. I started to think back to all the times I've ever asked God for forgiveness and all the years I've gone to church and I've prayed and read the Bible. And I just started to cry. I started to feel horrible because I felt like, what if I never found this church? I'll just go to hell thinking I'm living my life as this great, perfect person. Not perfect, but great. And then the sin and repentance study, you have to confess your sins. They give you a list of these uh, scriptures of all the sins that are in the Bible. And then they give you homework and then you come back to the next study and then they tell you, okay, what sins have you committed that are in this Bible that I've given you this list? And By the way, every time you do a study, there's someone taking notes. So you're with a group of people, a small group, and someone is always taking notes. And so I told them, okay, this is my sin. This is my sin. But not only do you have to tell them what 
you send in like, okay, I lied or I fornicated. You have to give them details. Tell us about how you lied. Tell us about how you fornicated. What did you do? So I told these people very personal things about myself, things that was very, very personal, embarrassing. And this is something everyone has to go through in the ICOC. And this is a part of them breaking you down because first you have to know you're not a Christian. God has not forgiven you. Next step, you have to confess to the members what you did. If you refuse and you tell them, I don't feel comfortable confessing personal information, I'll just confess that I did sin and I asked for forgiveness, that's not enough because I tried, I tried going that route and it didn't work. What I was told was, you have to tell us in detail what you did and if you don't, you won't be forgiven and I'm sorry, but we can't baptize you. That's amazing. I mean, I'm reading right now Leah Remedy's book about Scientology and she talks like it sounds so similar to what you're telling me now about uh, confessing your sins in great detail. Somebody keeping a register and notes of everything you're, you're everything you sinned. And this is the only way to atone with God is to give them all this detailed information. Um, right. And so after you go through this process. When do you become a Christian in their eyes? The moment that you're baptized. The moment that you're fully baptized, they, they, you can either get baptized at the beach or in my case, I was in someone's uh, hot tub in their house and I got baptized there. And then they have a celebration. They start singing this song and clapping. And it's, it's just, it's like a whole big celebration. Everyone celebrates. Sometimes you'll have like a barbecue and that's, like your initiation right there. Now you're a member and now you're going to heaven and they continue to love bomb you, but eventually that subsides. And then that's when you start to see that things are not as great as, as, as I thought it was. That's usually the honeymoon stage, the baptism. That's when everything is good. Right. And, and after that honeymoon stage, then they, move away from you a little bit there's not as much kindness coming your way and it starts moving towards new members you know i, I always find it funny that people say that because i that wasn't my experience at all they I, okay so i've had a lot of people email me and tell me that they seem to be loved in the beginning and then they leave them and move on to new members i they do do that with some people but for me, in my case, they did not do that for me. I know some people that they did do that to. I wish I was one of them because that means that they would let me the hell alone. But they kept invading me and I was what I like to call the experiment, the lab rat. I was always bothered and they would call it tough love. They would say, well, we're just loving on you. We're loving on you. We love you. This is why we have to do these things and tell you these things. They continued to love bomb me, but it was in an uncomfortable way because that's when the control began. That's when I was constantly getting phone calls and and early in the morning on a Saturday, and I'm talking like six, seven in the morning, I was constantly being told what to do, where to go, who to hang out with. Now I have to make sure I attend church three days a week because not only do we have to go on Sunday, but then you have your family group is where you all talk about the Bible. And then you have Bible studies that you have to join in on, but you have to be at a certain level. You have to be spiritual enough. I was never spiritual enough. I only did one Bible study with someone. You have to attend um, midweek. Midweek could either be Tuesday or Wednesday evening. Even if you have a job, you got to go to midweek. Some people make it a big deal. If you don't go, some say, oh, it's understandable that you can't, but you have to try your best. That's when the control started. And that's when you start to become separated from the rest of the world because they keep you so busy. It's like you don't have time for your real life, for your personal life or for your, your personal outside friends. Everything is about the ICOC and its members. And if, if you don't make it about that, they will make sure that they guilt the hell out of you and tell you that you are not taking God seriously and that you're not a serious Christian. And what what things in your life would they control that maybe you found extreme? I, I remember in one of your videos, you even talk about that they control the way you dress. And that's, oh, yeah. that's kind of a big conversation right now globally mm. as far as like women 
their dress and how it associates to the religion and how much of how a woman a religious woman dress is a their choice which i think is a very complex thing for an outsider to judge but i there is social pressures within those communities for women to dress certain ways mhm yeah there is definitely a lot so i'm i wouldn't call myself a girly girl i'm not a tomboy but i like i like to dress comfortable i like to dress the way i want to dress um so i would go to church and i always would wear like some converse sneakers a t-shirt and jeans or leggings that was how i felt comfortable it's sunday morning it's bad enough i don't even feel like getting up to go to church like that was how i felt i would notice that there were there were other women there who were married and they dressed really nice they wore shoes they wore dresses my husband never complained he knew who i was but a couple of sisters started pointing out to me that I should start dressing nicer. I should start looking a little bit better with how I I dress up. I should start wearing shoes. I should wear nice clothes because if I don't, then my husband might find someone else and he'll lose interest in me. And it was it just didn't make sense. They contradict themselves in a lot of the things that they say because they will tell you come as you are. God looks at your heart. He doesn't look at your attire. But then when you come as you are after a while, they want you to get it together. So I started to dress a little bit what they would call better. I mean, I didn't dress bad, but I started to wear shoes that were uncomfortable. I started to wear clothes that I didn't feel like wearing on a Sunday. I just I started to dress up a little bit more. And they had this thing where if, if your blouse was like even a tiny bit tiny bit showing just a little bit of cleavage they'll come to you and pull it up in front of everyone it's very embarrassing and it is just everything seems so anal i was told i can't wear a bikini on the on the beach or, or to the pool i can't wear crop tops i have to be careful with how tight my jeans are there was a woman in church and she had a shirt that was showing her shoulder and it was just a little bit it was in the summer i mean it was like 90 something degrees and she was told that she was making other brothers struggle the single men struggle because her shoulders were showing so they they do try to make you dress a certain way they try to make you especially if you're married they try to put a lot of pressure on the women whether you're married or single as to how you dress because you'll make other men struggle because if there's a brother who's struggling who's struggling spiritually and 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 he's looking at other women then they will blame you not him it's your fault because you shouldn't have worn those shoes cuz they're too high you shouldn't have worn that shirt because you're showing too much of your shoulders or you have a cut in the back so you could see your back is out a little bit a lot of the women were pressured and i did start to change the way i dress and i hated it and i was just like this is not me first of all these clothes are too colorful i like dark colors um these clothes are too frilly looking i don't like frilly stuff i just i didn't like it and i changed back i changed back to my regular self and i kind of got told off about it but i didn't care yeah i i mean it's amazing how similar re- religious or you know experiences sound from like the different people i talk to but it's so similar when you say that one you couldn't dress that sexy or attractive or uh, accentuate or show much of your skin in any way mm-hmm. because it'll entice other men but at the same time you have to dress nice for your husband if not so everything revolves about how men see you either how yeah. men who are not your husband see you and how you you must cover yourself from them or how you have to look nice for your husband but the last person that matters is you and what you care exactly. about exactly yeah you don't matter anymore if you're a woman in the ICLC it's very difficult i mean i've i've heard of women who were who were single and they're just like it's horrible it's the worst experience to be single in the ICLC and i don't know cuz i went in there married but i know as a married woman a lot of pressure for a lot of things is is put on you i imagine the 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 problem there is that they only want you to marry within the church r- r- oh, probably yeah. right 
Oh, definitely. You mm-hmm. can't marry. Don't even think about dating outside the church. I mean, I know someone who married in the church and the man she married was not yet considered a disciple because he was in the middle of his studies and he got baptized outside of the church, but they wanted him to get baptized again because if you're baptized outside the church, it's not considered a real baptism. They will tell you it's not a real baptism. So she was dating this man and she ended up marrying him and she got kicked out and she couldn't return until she agreed to making a public apology to the entire church. Well, you have to date within the church and you have to have permission. You can't just date whoever you want. You, you have to have permission from the leaders, from your discipling partners, which are the people that you're set up with to see every week to keep you accountable. And they have to give you the okay. Yes, it's okay to date this person. Yes, it's okay to propose and get married to this person. There's no free will. They have to approve all, all that before they you even do yes. it? Yes. Yes. And this is something I did not know until a lot of people who watch my videos started reaching out to me. I have a lot of people who watch who are single and they were in there in the singles. And the first time I heard it, I didn't really believe it because it just sounds so ridiculous. But then multiple people told me this. And then I spoke to some friends who also left around the time I left who confirmed it and said, it's true. You can't just date who you want. And it makes a lot of sense because I'm like, well, you know, they are very controlling. So, of course, you know, why not go the extra stretch of the mile and control that, too? But, yeah, I've spoken to people who have told me that they would date someone and they were forced to break up because one person was considered to be more spiritual than the other. If you're not uh, spiritually aligned, I put that in quotation because I think it's ridiculous, then you cannot date because... The way that the ICOC thinks is that if one person is more spiritual than the other, then that will cause them to fall off. You can easily become persuaded. It goes the same thing with friendships. I have been told who I can and can't be friends with. When I had a friend who was, quote unquote, struggling, I was told not to hang out with her, not to talk to her so much, because then she'll cause me to struggle and Tina, we don't want you to struggle. You're, we want you to get to heaven, sister. We don't want you to struggle. You're going to struggle with her. So I think it will be best if you just don't hang out with her so much. And they say it in such a, a calm, low voice, in a loving way, to make you think that they really care. And it's all bull crap. They don't give a crap about anybody. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad that I have to say it so bluntly, but which I hope you don't mind. Sometimes I could tend to be very blunt. But... I'm not speaking for all the members. I have to be careful in that because a lot of people take it very sensitively. And I do have friends who are still in the church, very few. But majority do not care. They do not care. They, it's all about conforming and it's all about following as robots to be a certain way and fit a certain way. A lot of the marriages, a lot of the marriages are arranged. And, um, there are people who've gotten married who years later get divorced that I've actually spoken to people who recently got divorced, were married for years. Their kids are starting college and they get a divorce because the whole time they never wanted to be married. They were told that this sister is, is good for you. God put her here for you. Can I ask you who arranges the marriages in those cases? Is it a, is it a pastor? Is it the parents arranging it for for their children, like who who does the arranging in those cases? From what I I know, it's the leaders of the church that you're in, and um, your discipling partners. So it's anyone who's above you. It's kind of like a pyramid. Like you're at the bottom, and then there are the leaders, and then there's the pastors. There's people above you. So whoever's above you and knows you and speaks to you, they come together, they have this leaders meeting, which they have, I'm not sure how many times a month they have, but they have a leaders meeting, which is basically a meeting where they tell everyone's business and talk about people. And they arrange, they they try to set you up and tell you, you know, this person will be good for you. So if Joe wants to date Katie, but Katie is considered a struggling Christian because she's going through depression or because she drinks a little too often 
then he will be told not to date Katie, date Carol instead, because Carol, she's in the ministry, she's helping, she serves, she does a lot of Bible studies, and she's always on point. Date her. And he'll con- he'll be told to date her continuously until he finally dates her. Next thing you know, they're telling him, you know, you guys should get married, and he gets married. And it doesn't happen like that all the time, and not every single church, because some churches are more strict than others. Like the one I was in was strict, and there are some that are not as strict. But the ones that are strict, they do do things very similar. But at the same time, I mean, I, I what I hear from a lot of people who are in very tight-knit community, religious communities, when they leave, even though they, there's all this controlling and isolation from the rest of the world, you still have like a community to depend on. And so that mm-hmm. can be something very hard to leave behind. And still like there, there's people that you, that will help you always, uh, things like that. So did you, did you feel that? Do you do, is that something you might miss from, from when you were in that community that you could, there's always people you could call for, for something or people you can depend on? In the very beginning, yes. Now, no. I love my freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the beginning, in the beginning, yes. In the beginning, I always tell people it's it's normal that um, when you first leave, because you become so dependent on the people that you're surrounded with. Majority of people who join the ICOC cut off their friendships outside of the church. If they cannot bring their friends in, then they cut them off. I had probably one or two friends outside of the church. And it becomes difficult when you leave because now who's who's going to pray with me? Who's going to who can I talk to when I'm having issues in my life or with my kids or with my my spouse? Who can I go to now? I can't just handle it on my own. And I did deal with that because that I needed them. They would say to me, well, Tina, you need us. You want to leave. You need us. What are you going to do when you leave? You're going to fall away. Who are you going to talk to? You have no one to talk to. And you become so dependent. You kind of you kind of forget how to live for yourself and how to trust yourself because you're you're told not to trust yourself. You're told and you're discouraged from trusting your heart and trusting your mind and the gut feeling you have, which is why a lot of people stay in the church and they remain in denial because they will continue to train you to think that if you think outside of what you're taught, that's the devil. Me, for instance, right now, if someone were a member of this church and they were just die hard for this church, they will think, I assure you, that person will think that I am doing the devil's work. I'm just helping Satan to lure people away from God. And really that's not at all what my intention ever was. It's just to warn people because this comes with a price. If you decide to leave, you deal with a lot. And that is one of the things that you have to go through. And it's difficult because a lot of people, some people end up going back because they're so afraid. They don't know how to be on their own, especially people who've been there for a very long time. They're afraid to learn to trust themselves. They're afraid that if they leave, they're risking their chances of getting to heaven. So you'll just go to hell and burn for all eternity. This is one of the things that I... I don't really deal with that fear a whole lot anymore, but um, I try not to think about it. But that's one of the things that I I have feared a lot when I left. And it's just because of things that was told to me when I had very first left. I mean, I want to go back to that afterwards, but I, I also wanted to ask you about one of your videos where you mentioned also that they're, they pressure you to contribute financially and sometimes in a very, very hard pressuring kind of way could you talk about that yeah so um you have to contribute for the poor and for the church every sunday and then every year once a year there's this big contribution that we all do a special missions contribution you have to give i think it's like 365 dollars or something like that every year um so the church that i was in they they didn't pressure me a lot. It wasn't I've heard of worst case scenarios. It depends on the pastor really cuz I had two different pastors. One left and I liked him and then the next one that came in, I did not like him at all. He pressured. He he put a lot of emphasis on giving. 
And it's like, well, if, if you have money to go to Starbucks, if you have money to go shopping, to buy new clothes all the time or to eat out all the time and dine, how do you not have money to give to God? It always goes back to God. It's a guilt. It's a part of their tactic. They always use guilt as a way to make you feel like, oh, geez, you know, yeah, I have to do this. You have to trust God. If you don't want to give up your last $20, you're not trusting God. Are you not a disciple? This is what they do. So they do pressure. They do have a tendency, many of the churches in the ICLC, to pressure their members. If you're not a member, you're told you don't have to give because you're not a member. Because remember, if, if you're not a member of the church, you're considered worldly. You're outsider. We don't really care so much about you until you join. We'll pretend to care only because we want you to join. But you're not a member. You don't have to give. But if you're a member, you have to give at some point. And I wasn't working when I first joined. I was a stay-at-home mom, and then I started going to school. My husband was working. I remember one of the sisters that baptized me asked me. She said, um, and she was tough. She was like, oh, she, she was hell on wheels. This woman said, do you ever contribute? And I said, well, sometimes, you know, I'm not working, so it's kind of difficult. But my husband contributes all the time. Like, he's a big giver of money in church. So she says, well, I, that's not what I asked you. That's, that doesn't matter. You have to contribute because when you get to heaven, you and your husband are going separate ways. God is not going to say, well, you both contributed as a couple. He's going to say, well, your husband contributed and you didn't. So what do you have to say for yourself? And I was just like, well, how am I supposed to contribute? I mean, my, my husband will give me money, but... It wasn't like I had a lot to just give and I felt bad if I would just give one or two dollars compared to people giving twenty, thirty dollars a week. So they they do put a lot of emphasis. You have to give on your own. And also with the special missions contribution, which is um, once a year with that one, I used to feel really bad because me and my husband would give, but we didn't give the full amount that we would want to. And it kind of always made me feel like I fell below the bar. I always, my entire time, I was in the church for seven years, I always felt like I fell right below the bar of being good enough. Mm. Did, did you think your, your self-esteem was damaged while, while you were there? In one of your, or maybe I think one, more than one of your videos, you talk about spiritual abuse, which isn't mm -hmm. a term I had really heard before. Um, can you can you expand on that? Because I think it's a very interesting way of of describing uh, the emotional distress that people go through. I mean, so many of the people who have been in very cult like religious communities almost always suffer PTSD after getting out. And sometimes they don't even know it for the longest time. Right. Uh, so, I mean, did you suffer a lot of uh, emotional distress while, while in the church? Oh, yeah. That was, that's, that was the biggest issue I had. And I still, I still am suffering a bit from the PTSD because that's something that you don't get over so quickly. I'm going on two years since I've left. Um, so the spiritual abuse... I never heard of that neither until I started to do a lot of research when I got real curious about this church that I, I was a part of. And um, I started to realize and see the signs and think back to all the things that was said to me, all the things that was done. And the way it works is that when you're in the church, you don't know it's happening. You don't know that it is getting to you emotionally and mentally. You have no idea until and if you decide to ever leave. Um, so I, my confidence was fine before I joined. When I joined, it went down very low. I felt low self-esteem. I, not necessarily physically, but um, as a person, my worth, my self-worth, I should say, it went down very low because the, the church made it a habit to always remind me I'm not, I'm not doing well enough. I'm still struggling. You, you have heart issues. A lot of the things that they would say to me was always something that just made me feel like I'm never going to get there. Always felt like I was trying to climb a, a mountain and never getting to the top. And God is at the top. And they would remind me my sin separates me from God. 
So I have been going through depression and anxiety since I was about 12 years old. And before I joined, I was, I was going through a major depression for several years. And while I was in the church, my depression, it seemed like it started to go down during my honeymoon stage when I first got baptized. I thought, wow, I finally found the answer to my life. Like, this is the key to happiness. And, and I was wrong. It actually just made my depression a lot worse. But the way that they spiritually abused me was that I would go to them and tell them, this is how I feel. I feel so depressed. I have so much anxiety. I'm on medication now. I don't know what to do. And they would say, well, you're not reading the Bible enough. You have to have more quiet times. You have to make them longer. You're not trusting in God. If you're going through depression, you're doing something wrong. You're feeling anxious. You're doing something wrong. And then they pull out the Bible because the favorite thing they love to do is read the scriptures and say, hey, it's not my fault. Don't get mad at me. It's God saying this. It's not me. If you have a problem, take it out with God. This is the favorite thing that they like to say. And they would tell me this whenever I would try to open up to them. And it feels like you're being beat with the Bible. And that's why I say it's spiritual abuse. You you think that God loves you and you think that, you know, God cares. But the way that they portray God is like this dictator who's like, no, you're not doing well enough. Go back and try again. With all that and what you told me before about how when somebody is struggling, every, you're told to avoid that person because you're it's, they're going to influence you and you're going to start struggling, which I imagine is like they start to question or not act in a, the way the church wants then how did you start your road out of that church uh, considering all, all these hardships that a, a person has to go through if they start moving away from from the church itself? It was really difficult. Honest had wanted to leave from like the first couple of months after I got baptized, but I didn't feel strong enough to leave for several reasons. One was because my family was still in it. My husband, my kids were still a part of the church and I didn't want to let them down. And I was afraid that if I left, my marriage would crumble and would just be ruined because this is what I was told. The other reason I was afraid to leave was because I was afraid of going to hell. I was afraid that if I left, I would be disappointing God and I would not get to heaven and this is because I was constantly reminded that all the time. So before I actually left, there were some situations that happened in the church. Um, this was like around by the time I hit my seventh year in the church. By this time, I was feeling very drained. I was feeling physically and emotionally drained. And I just did not feel comfortable. I was not happy in my life. And I knew something was wrong. And... Uh, I had two friends in the church that had two separate situations. One of them was the woman that I mentioned earlier that she got married and got kicked out for it. And then she was able to return after she made a public apology. And then another woman, she had sins against God. She she um, started dealing with this other brother in the church who was in a relationship with someone else in the church. And they ended up breaking up and um they confessed and the church told them that they had to no longer speak to each other, no longer speak to anyone else. They had to get it right. They had to get themselves right with God first before they can be in any kind of leadership or climb the ladder in the church. And that really bothered me because I spoke to her and I became friends with both of these women because of what they went through, because like my heart went out to them and and I I just couldn't believe the things they were telling me. They would cry to me and tell me what was going on. And I would just think to myself, this doesn't sound like a church. This doesn't sound like like Christianity. I mean, I don't honestly believe that this is how God wants things to be. What does it take for me to have to be treated this way? What will it take for people to turn their back on me? What will I have to do? It could easily be me. And from there, I started to do research online and on YouTube. And I started to look into this whole cult thing that I kept, I heard about from the beginning. And, and I just, I was scared. I was just like, I was so scared to type in ICOC cult. That's how brainwashed I was because I was afraid that was a sin alone. And, and then when I started to find videos and read up on it, then that's when I realized 
I'm going to have to make a decision. Either I stay in this church and I continue to conform and act like everything's okay and ignore the way that things are being done and ignore all the people that have been hurt. Or I leave and take a huge risk with my life. And that's when I decided I'm not coming back. I'm leaving. And I ended up leaving. It was around this this time of year. I ended up leaving and I was like, I'm not coming back. Can, can I ask you to expand a little bit on there? Because I, I, I think it's it's not something everybody can understand. I think it, I mean, it's even hard for me to a little bit to to understand it when you say that even researching their ICLC cult made you it sounded like you weren't necessarily afraid of the church. You were afraid for your soul and going to hell. Yeah. If I understood you correctly. Yeah. You don't have that anymore. I imagine, right. That fear of every yeah, little no. thing you, you do could mean your eternal soul burning in hell. But it sounded like that was a really real fear for you for a time. Yeah. And it became a phobia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And- so, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just want like to I'm not even sure exactly what to ask about that, but it just sounds like a very big pain to live with. I mean, how how much yeah. like if you can compare now not having that fear in your daily life and when you did have it, how does that affect you when you do have it during the time you were in the church? Well, now I feel like I can be happy and I can embrace and accept who I am flaws and all, which is what I try to teach people. At that time, I felt like if God doesn't love me, how can I love myself? And and because many people who join this church are discouraged from seeking anything outside of the church, including uh, research, a lot of the books that I had that I would read was DPI books, which is... Um, I forgot what it stands for, uh, Discipleship Publication International or something like that. And the DPI books are books that are written only by members of the ICOC. And um, before I started reading those books, I had my fiction books. I had my I'm I'm into self-help, my self-help books. And I was told to get rid of them. Don't read them because they're not from God. They're not from the Bible. So anything outside of this church that is teaching you anything that's even against this church, remotely against it, including listening to a podcast, watching a video on YouTube, anything that is outside of the ICOC is considered kind of like sinning. You're on your way towards sin because it's what it's going to do is it's going to influence you to move away and step away from God and fall from grace and disappoint God. And so this is why I was so afraid. This is why so many people, they're in the church, but they refuse to look up information. They refuse to read about it or to hear someone else's experience or point of view because they think that if they listen, they're actually listening to Satan and they're allowing Satan to make way into their life and to destroy. They like to read this scripture in the Bible, which I can't remember which one it is, but it's about, um, it basically states that, that when you do become a Christian, the Satan is going to attack you. He's going to use everyone and anything, and he comes in all forms to attack. And so anything outside the ICOC was an attack. So I was definitely afraid for my soul. I was not afraid, like in most, in some other cults, people may be afraid of the members physically harming them. In the ICOC, that's not really something to fear as far as what I know. I've never been physically threatened. I was just always afraid like you said, from my soul of going to hell, because this is supposed to be the one true church of Christ. If you're not in this church, you're in the wrong one. If you're in a different religion or a different denomination, you're in the wrong one. So even thinking about going to another church that is Christian, but just not the ICOC is wrong. And that was what I feared the most. And it was, it took a huge leap of faith for me to have faith in myself and no longer have faith in what the people of the church were saying for me to finally step out and just leap and, and get out of there. And how did they react when you finally started to break ties with them? Did they get aggressive with you? Did they love bomb you? What what is their reaction when that happens? I was not love bombed at all. Um, 
I was, I was actually rejected. A lot of people no longer want to speak to me. What happened was I had, I had spoken to, um, this one woman who would disciple me and I told her I'm not coming back. I've decided I'm leaving the church. There were some issues that happened by this time. I had already spoken to the pastor's wife and explained to her that I did not feel comfortable because of the situations. I was hoping that she would say, okay, what can we do differently in the church? I, I was not planning on just leaving just like that, but I was completely pushed to the side. Okay, you're leaving. All right, well, we'll pray for you. Goodbye. That was the end of the conversation. She hung up the phone. So I spoke to the woman that was discipling me and told her, I'm going to leave. I don't feel comfortable. I feel like there's a lot of things that aren't right, but I'm hoping that we can continue to be friends. I had a couple of friends at this point, women that I had in my women's meetings that I would attend, which was basically just a group that I went to every week to help turn me into a better wife and a better mother. And, um, and I, I would have my celebrate my birthday with them. I would celebrate their birthday. We would celebrate holidays together. So these are my actual friends. They were the only friends I had. And all of them, except for one or two, completely cut me off. One of them told me, I'm sorry. Um, if you're not staying in the church, I can't be friends with you anymore. I can't continue to to talk to you because I, I cannot be yoked with unbelievers as it states in the Bible the discipling partner I had who I became very close with, she didn't love bomb me, but she took it very personal. She said to me that I was a disappointment to God. Well, I put all this work in you, Tina, and I took all this time trying to help you and you are throwing it all away. You're falling away from God. You're never going to return and God is not going to accept you. And she just completely put it out on me. And it really hurt because it made me feel worse. And it almost made me want to change my mind and say, no, no, wait, I'm, I forget it. I changed my mind. I'm coming back inside. That's the voice that was trying to come out. But I knew in my heart that that was wrong because I said, if you're going to stay in this church because of what people are saying and you're going to stay because of fear, then you shouldn't stay at all because that is not what God wants. God doesn't want you to have fear. You know, I still believe in God. I just don't believe in the God of the Bible. I don't believe in the God that religion teaches. I feel like that's a dictator. I, I feel like that's a list of rules of right and wrong, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. So that's not the God that I believe in anymore. It's the God that I was raised to believe in. And that's the God that I believed in when I was in the ICOC. But I ended up losing all of my friends pretty much. Uh, I've run into them in the street. I've had some of them, one of them actually, I ran into in the mall a couple months ago. He saw me and he turned around and act like he didn't even know me. And this is a person that I, I did double dates with and I was friends with his wife. I've had one of them tell me, I said, Hey, let's all hang out sometime. And she says, yeah, no, you know what? I don't think we can do that in, in a group text message. I don't think we can do that. I don't think that's a good idea. Sorry. Completely shut off. Because now I'm worldly. Now I'm a fall away. So that that happens to majority of people who end up leaving the church. That's amazing that words like describing somebody as worldly is a negative thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. right? That's, I always make fun of it in the videos because it's ridiculous. Um, could you describe now your channel and what you do there? Because I, I saw a bunch of your videos and I think they're wonderful. You, it's a, it seems to be like Thank a combination you. of you talking in some videos about your experience, you struggling about life after religion and your own spirituality. And some of your videos are about uh, helping people who have gone through similar experiences and not necessarily right. the same church, but people have gone through what you sometimes call like spiritual abuse um, mm -hmm. and kind of helping them to, to work on self-help and things like that. So I mean, could, could you talk about like how you started your channel and what you do on there? Right. So when I first started my my channel, I, I did not start it with the hopes of it turning into anything. I did not know where I was going with it. I just felt a feeling telling me, make a video, just make a video about your experience. So that's when I made my very first ICOC experience video, which was my part one. And I received a lot of good feedback. 
And then I ended up making a part two and a part three. And then from there, I just continued to make videos. I started to get emails. People were reaching out, telling me, I went through that too. I went through this. I went through this. And I found it fascinating because all along, I always thought I was the only one experiencing it. I always thought I was going crazy because I never could find anyone who could tell me and say, yes, I understand. I feel the same way. I feel like I want my life back. I want to be happy again. I want to make decisions without having to ask permission or feel guilty for it. I always thought I was the only one. So I figured, why not continue to make videos since I'm getting such good feedback already and continue to make them for all the other people who are out there. I mean, imagine how many people are out there who are going through this right now and they think they're the only one and they're afraid to look outside of the church and they're afraid to research. And that was how my channel came about. And um, in the beginning, it was just, I, I was going through a lot of pain. I mean, you could see it actually in my part two ICOC experience video, which was my very second video. That one, all, all of my ICOC videos ended up being removed about a month ago and I had to put them all back up. But my part two video, it was removed and I didn't have it on my laptop. So I had to remake it. But in my original part two cult experience video, I cried a lot at the end because in that video, I had so much pain. I still had so much pain. And I was in, I was out of the cult for a year by that time when I started the videos. Um, what, why were they taken down? Were they reported by the church members or something like that? Or? I think, yeah, I think someone from one of the ICLC churches had taken them because it only removed that. It wasn't YouTube. YouTube didn't know anything about it. They only removed the videos that were about ICLC, my experience and it being a cult. All my other videos were still intact. And it was like about eight or nine videos that were removed. And I put them all right back up. That's amazing that your videos about that would be taken down. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it really funny how someone was very uh, sneaky and, and, and just took them off? And I actually was told that they that they do that sometimes. They will There will be someone who will be um, a part of the tech team in the church, and they're very good with technology, and they're good at hacking, and they can find a way to remove it. To this day, I don't know how it happened. I'm hoping it doesn't happen again. Oh, so this wasn't taken down by YouTube? Like, YouTube didn't no. say this has been reported and it's taken down. Somebody, no. like, it seemed like they just disappeared, like it was hacked in that disappeared. way? Disappeared, right. Completely off. And, I, and so I had more views at that time. Um, I More people were seeing it at that time. And I had to just start over again. And um, I, I believe that it was possibly, I don't want to make any assumptions, but someone possibly affiliated with the ICOC who did not like it because YouTube knew nothing about it. I looked into it, but, um, yeah, so, so my channel, I did not want it to only be about the horrible experience because it is a very heavy channel. Uh, it could be very emotional. It can, it's, there are times in my channel where I'm very, very, open about a lot of things and that's how my personality is in general I don't filter a whole lot but I do try to be respectful to other people because I do have people on my channel who are still members and they claim to have a good experience and I'm completely open to anyone watching whether they're an atheist or a Jehovah Witness or a member of the ICLC or a non-member but I wanted my channel to not just be about my experience. I felt like I need to help people. This is going somewhere. And from there, I started to turn it into going through it, going through the pain. I don't believe in getting past the pain. I don't believe in, in just overcoming it and letting it go and forgetting it. Because honestly, once you're involved in either whether it's a cult or any kind of trauma that has to do with spirituality, I don't believe we can just get over it and let it go. But what I like to do is try to help people to learn how to grow through it, not just go through it, but to grow through the pain. And so I help people with meditations and affirmations because they have to learn to rewire the messages that are in their brain. They have to rewire the, their brain of all the negativity that's put in us when we're in the cult, when we're in these situations. We're told a lot of harmful things that at that moment, the person may not realize this is hurting me, but when they decide to leave, 
they see how hurtful it is and how much destruction is caused. And I saw that with myself, especially when I went back to one church for the first time and I had a complete panic attack. I ended up filming it. I put it online and it was real. Like I never experienced anything like that just from being in a church. And to this day, I do still have some triggers, but I like to help people on learning how to use their pain and their trauma of their past to build them up and to see that whether you believe in God or not, you're still worth something. You're still a beautiful soul. You're a beautiful person. You're here for a reason. And to me, that's more important than anything. I don't claim any religion at this point right now. I believe in God. I don't claim any religion. I like to go off of love. I feel, for me, if I have to claim religion, love is my religion. I love all people, all religions, all cultures, everything. I'm not cut off from anything. And and I like to show a lot of empathy and show people, you're not alone. I totally understand where you're coming from. And this is what my channel is about. Well, that's a beautiful thing. Um, and also, you, you. and also, you're bringing out an ebook. Where I didn't know about that until you mentioned it. On the right. Podcast. Yeah. 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 So I'm I'm in the process right now of writing an ebook, um, which I'll be selling on my website soon. I haven't released the due date yet. I do have a due date in my mind, but I want to make sure I can I can stick with that due date because when I first started writing it it somehow deleted from my laptop and I had to do it all over again. But it was a good thing I had to redo it because now I'm, I'm actually speaking a lot from the heart. But this ebook is, is going to be something that's going to help people who were either a part of the cult or any cult or any kind of religious trauma or um, not just religious trauma. Because I do have people who watch my videos that were a part of different kind of cults that had nothing to do with religion. But anyone who was a part of any kind of group that has caused them pain and emotional pain, as well as for those who have family members that are in the cult and they don't know how to help them or, or what to do. So that's what my ebook is going to be about. It's called Finding Her Beautiful Soul. Great. I mean, I, I, from what you tell me about your experience and hearing the experiences of people in other religions, often even from completely other countries and cultures, there are so many similarities about uh, the the social pressures the fears um so i i imagine that what you write and and also what you talk about on your channel is really can be generalized to who have been involved in similar groups so i i recommend that to anybody like you know check out her channel and follow her and follow up on uh on the book show tina is going to be bringing it out and thank you so much for being on tina is there any last thing you want to say about your experience that you want people to know or anything like that? Uh, yeah, just, I am not here to tell anyone what to believe in. I am not here to judge or criticize and follow your heart. Listen to your heart. You have a heart for a reason. Don't be afraid to follow it. And don't be afraid to email me HBHL yahoo.com. I'm here to help. And that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yeah, and you have a YouTube channel, and are you on other social media? Yes, I, I have my Twitter, which is Tina Marie J, Tina with two A's, and my Instagram, Tina Marie J, with two A's as well. Great. I'll put the links in the description, and thank you again for being on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.